So we have been in uh, the Gospel of John uh, looking at who Jesus is and who does Jesus say that he is. And to do this, we've been looking at the analogies and the metaphors and the similes and other assorted images that the fourth evangelist uses for Jesus. We started off looking at the words of John the Baptist, who called Jesus the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world, and the bridegroom for the coming kingdom of God. Last week we looked at Jesus and his own self-identification as the light of the world and how he was borrowing from the language of the Exodus to reveal who he was to those who were near him. And this week we will be uh, going back to the book of Exodus to find uh, yet another image that Jesus uses to help us understand who he is and what he offers for us and for the world. In Exodus uh, chapter 14, uh, we find that God has just led the Israelites out of Egypt. They have crossed the Red Sea on dry ground and uh, all of Pharaoh's army did the dead man float, right? Say a Pharaoh, Pharaoh. Oh, baby, let my people go. <laughs> Never mind. So then uh, after uh, the Israelites crossed the Red Sea on dry ground, we find the oldest passage uh, in the entire Bible in Exodus chapter 15. It is the song of Moses and Miriam. Uh, in our oldest texts, it is uh, the only part that isn't written in Hebrew, uh, but in Ugarit, which is a language that was a precursor to Hebrew. So we're like, wow, this is really, really old. So it's, it's cool. It's, it's, it's likely our, our, our oldest piece of the Bible. But in chapter 16 is, is where, uh, is where Jesus, Jesus goes uh, to help us understand who he is. So in chapter 16, um, God has already led the people across the Red Sea. Uh, Moses and Miriam have sang their song of praise, and the people are not particularly happy. In Exodus 16, we read this. The whole Israelite community set out from Elam and came to the desert of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai. On the 15th day of the second month after they'd come out of Egypt and in the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. And the Israelites said to them, If only we'd died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and we ate all that we wanted. But you have brought us out into the desert to starve our entire assembly to death. And then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. And in this way, I will test them and see whether they follow my instructions. And on the sixth day, they are to prepare what they bring in. And that is to be twice as much as they gather on the other days. So Moses and Aaron said to all the Israelites, In the evening, you will know that it was the Lord who brought you out of Egypt. And in the morning you will see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we that you should grumble against us? 
And Moses also said, You will know that it is the Lord who gives you meat to eat in the evening and all the bread you want in the morning, because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we? You are not grumbling against us, but against the Lord. And if we skip forward to verse 13, That evening quail came and covered the camp, and in the morning there was a layer of dew around the camp, and when the dew was gone, thin flakes like frost on the ground appeared on the desert floor. And when the Israelites saw it, they said to each other, What is this? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, It is the bread the Lord has given you to eat. And this is what the Lord has commanded. Everyone is to gather as much as they need. Take an omer for each person you have in your tent. And the Israelites did as they were told. Some gathered much, some little. And when they measured it by the omer, the one who gathered much did not have too much. And the one who gathered little did not have too little. Everyone had gathered just as much as they needed. So we know that one of the major themes throughout the Bible is that God wants to provide. God will provide. God wants to provide. God desires that we would depend on him for our provision. If we remember, uh, if we skip forward to the book of Deuteronomy, we see some really interesting instructions for kings of Israel. Right? One of them is, don't have any horses. Which sounds really strange. Why would God care if Solomon or any other Israelite king has horses? Well, because the only reason to have a horse in the ancient world is to field an army. The only, the only way a horse makes more sense than a camel in that part of the world is if you're going into battle. But God's saying, don't put an army together, I'll fight your battles. Similarly, uh, God tells Israelite kings, don't marry foreign women. Which sounds almost racist. Right? But that's not it at all. In the ancient world, marriages between kingdoms were all about building treaties. So God's saying, don't depend on diplomatic maneuvering to keep you safe either. I'll keep you safe. Solomon didn't get the memo. That's not here or there. But we find Jesus connecting himself to this larger tradition. Both the tradition of the Exodus and the manna that rains down from heaven and the larger tradition of God's greatest desire being to provide for his people and to be depended on for that provision. John chapter 6 begins with the miraculous feeding of the 5,000. Jesus then gets away from the crowd. His disciples uh, take the boat across the lake. He walks on the lake to the disciples. Um, Everyone freaks out a little bit. But then when Jesus and his disciples have gotten to the other side of the lake, the crowd finds Jesus again. And in verse 30 of chapter 6, the crowd has found Jesus. And Jesus, and so the crowd uh, asked Jesus, What sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? 
Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. So the, the crowd has found Jesus, and they are, they are looking back on this Exodus tradition of manna and God's provision, and telling Jesus to, to, to show off, to, to, to demonstrate that same sort, of, same sort of power in their day and age. And Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. And then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me, and still you do not believe. All those the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never drive away, for I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all that he has given me, but raise them up on the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up on the last day. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry. Whoever believes in me will never go thirsty and will be raised up to life on the last day. This is a powerful promise. This is not... This is not an empty promise made by a politician to get elected. This, is, this has substance to it. This is meat to it. This is, if this is true, this is the most important uh, sort of promise that the humans could be given. But how do the crowds respond? In verse 41, uh, they respond uh, just like their ancestors did. Uh, and at this, the Jews were, began to grumble about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said... Is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he now say, I came down from heaven? They grumbled. Uh, and interestingly enough, the, the word here that is translated grumbled is only found four other places in the Bible, three times in the New Testament, and then in the Greek version of the Old Testament. It's the same word that the Israelites grumbled to Moses in uh, during the exodus so i mean like john knows what he's doing he is intentionally tying these stories together to uh to expose to us this truth about who jesus is picking back up at verse 46 jesus says no one has seen the father except the one who is from god only he has seen the father very truly I tell you, the one who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate manna in the wilderness, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world." Then the Jews began to argue sharply amongst themselves, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? And Jesus replies, Very truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. 
Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up on the last day. For my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in them. Just as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna and died, but whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. A couple observations from this text. Um, Jesus comes for everybody. You know, unlike, um, unlike Judas Maccabeus or one of the other uh, potential messiahs for uh, the people of God waiting during the Roman occupation, uh, Jesus is a savior who is Jewish, not a Jewish savior. Does that make sense? Uh, uh, Gabriel Iglesias, is, is everyone know who Gabriel Iglesias is? He's this really big uh, 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 comic who is uh, Latino. Uh, he says he's fluffy, fluffy. Um, but he says, you know, I am a, a comic who's Latino. I'm not a Latino comic. He says the difference is my specials on Comedy Central. If I was a Latino comic, it would be on Telemundo. <laughs> and, and, and I mean, th this is like this. It's an important distinction to. To, to recognize that while the people who were waiting on the Messiah assumed that Jesus would be the Messiah who would, who would save the Jews from occupation uh, by Rome, uh, who would lead them into a, a new kingdom that was distinctly Jewish, Jesus comes along as a savior for everyone. It's not exclusive to uh, the, the people group that he is born into. Another observation is that consuming Jesus is incredibly important. And there's some debate as to exactly what uh, John is, is referencing here um, in the, the academic community. Um, because some say that, uh, that this isn't actually a text, like when, when John was writing it, uh, when Jesus was saying it, like there was no thought about the practice of communion at the time. That was something that we, we added in later. Um, so this would say that, that when Jesus says uh, to eat his flesh, it is talking about the experience of Jesus and drinking the blood is talking about believing in his promises. And if we go back to verse 35 and 36, there's, there's some textual support for this idea. But then there's, there's the larger tradition that, that talks about how eating the flesh and drinking the blood, it draws us naturally to the Lord's table. To this, this practice where we come together and we share in the body and the blood of Christ at communion. And that part of our regeneration into new life comes from participating in the sacrament. And I'm not sure which is more right. 
But I do know that, that when we come to the table, we come for the purpose of experiencing Christ. And we consume the elements because we believe. And if in no other way, I think that this rhythm has the power to draw us nearer to God. To give us a new insight into the life of God and our place within it. So here in a moment, we will come together to the table. And when you do, come to the table with a sincere desire to encounter the risen Lord. That's the the place our heart should be. That we want to experience God once more. That we want to have an experience of the risen Christ when we come to the table. And as you consume the body that's broken for you and the blood that's shed for you, Do it with the earnest belief that Jesus truly is the bread of heaven and that we can trust him to provide all that we need in order to live forever. You know, the the danger with any tradition in the life of the church is that it can become empty and stale and lose its meaning. We can just get used to doing it over and over. It can become rote And we can lose out on the fullness and the robustness of that practice. That God desires to draw us near to him to give us a fresh experience of who he is. And to give us an opportunity to respond in faith to that experience of God. So today, as we prepare our hearts and our minds to come to the table, know that satisfaction is found in Christ. That that every other measure of human happiness ultimately will run out, but the true satisfaction is found in Christ. Uh, one of the observations, uh, I, at the beginning of our service I had talked about this Kahneman article. One of the observations that, uh, that Kahneman has made is that in the social media age that we live in, the temptation is to care more about looking happy than being happy. Uh, The temptation is to get a picture of food that looks good and care about that more than actually eating food that tastes good. The, the, The temptation is to have this perfectly catered edifice of a life where we have all of our stuff together. And if if we can if we can create that If we can keep that illusion up, then whatever mess and chaos inside of us feels irrelevant. But the promise of Jesus is that he is the bread of life. That if we consume him, 
we will never die, that we will experience, will be uh, transformed, that our brokenness will be healed, that, that our woundedness will, will find solve. And that's good news. Let's pray together. Most holy and gracious God, we thank you for sending the bread of heaven, your son Jesus, into the world. Like your people in the wilderness, sometimes when we encounter Jesus in our life, our question is, what is this? Who is this? What, what's going on? But Lord, we thank you that you have given us the Holy Spirit to open our eyes to the ways that Jesus is working in our lives. To the ways that being in communion with him makes a difference for our lives. To the ways in which having encounters with Jesus in choosing to believe draws us into the life of God. Lord, it is your desire that we would trust you and depend on you for all of our needs. that we would recognize that there is no amount of wealth that will make us happy or satisfied. That there's no amount of power or prestige that will make us happy or satisfied. But the satisfaction comes from knowing you. From discovering our purpose in you and living into that reality. Lord, as we come to your table, may we encounter the risen Christ. Give us the faith to believe the truth of the gospel. Heal us from our brokenness and our hurt, the sins we've committed and the sins that have been committed against us, and raise us up into new life with you. And we will give you the honor and the praise forever and ever, for you are indeed worthy. And all God's people said, Amen.